Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. How about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. And welcome everybody in the booth. Good to have you with us with news happening here from the time we wound up Wrapping up the broadcast day yesterday, Brent Axe doing a nice job sticking around for a little while with uh, the news that really we've been talking about and around for months has been uh, dealt with and kind of coming at five minutes to six last night was really the drop of that uh, press release once the university had gone through all of uh, its machinations and uh, communicating that decision and news to uh, its sort of groups of specified interest and then uh, passing it out to the public around uh, 6 o'clock last night and Dino Babers extended as the head football coach. I think really from the middle of the season on, we talked about it only being a matter of time and the soundbite from John Wildhack a moment ago stipulated what the deadline was and why that happened to be right now. Steve Adazio of Boston College had been extended just a couple days ago, too, for the same reason. The coaches are on the trail, and this particular year right now, it wasn't so much that Dino was at risk, a flight risk for being hired to another program this year. I'm not positive the coaching carousel is done, but it pretty much has gone through, and there just aren't fits and and places that he would necessarily be running off to this year. Now, next year in November, then maybe that uh, could be a different story, particularly if you hadn't made this extension. But what's accomplished is in this recruiting period where the coaches are in living rooms and you get a recruit on the hook and you talk about their future and how long they'll be here, and you're talking about four, five, six years down the road now, they want assurances that the system that they're talking about, the coach that they're making relationships with, is going to be around, and that's what you've accomplished. That's number one. So now you can say to all these recruits, yes, Dino Babers will be your coach. The other thing is you drive up, and because this is a private school, because they handle their business in a a pretty private way, they're not going to come out right now and talk about years and dollar figures and whatever, but I believe it's a fair and accurate assumption that a buyout has been arranged in such a way here that covers the school for the investment they've made in the coach so that if Dino Babers is poached by a power program that spends a lot of money in the next three, four, five years, well, then you still have a net gain for Syracuse in that, yes, you lose your coach and you know you can't claim that Babers is going to be the coach here forever. So there may come a time when he departs, but if that time comes, now maybe you've narrowed the list of actual pursuers that only the top 10 or 20 programs that make the largest financial commitment would have the financial wherewithal to come after him. And if they do, and if they write you that check or however it works out, that Syracuse has benefited from that and from their stability and from their investment in Babers and their support. 
so those are positive things. I think the next couple of tiers of that, smaller details, because they're just sort of the continuation of trends here, you have to commit to extending the staff, supporting that staff, understanding that the people involved in recruiting operations, the assistant coaches, et cetera, that has been one of the keys to increased success here. That needs to be solidified going forward. So I'm certain that that was that had to have been part of it. Um, and facility-wise, yes, the university has made a commitment related to doing some things differently at the Dome, but not really with a ton of specifics. I think if you're the football coach, you have to ask, okay, what is this? What does this mean for us? And this would be the time if Dino Babers wanted to push for locker room renovations and those types of things, then maybe this is the time that uh, those things come up. So what you've got is a very positive step forward in the direction and uh, uh, I guess the steadiness of the football program uh, accomplished with uh, this extension and uh, we hope to hear from Dino Babers uh, before too long. We did visit with John Wildhack. That'll be uh, later in our show today. We do have Mike Waters in his regular spot at 2.15. And uh, so we'll step aside for some basketball here in a bit and then come back to uh, football and for Dino Babers. You know, I've said for a long time, Syracuse is not the type of program that can afford to be a revolving door program. There's a couple out there that come to mind where They've done an okay job here in recent years by holding coaches for two, three, four years. I guess Temple would come to mind as an example of a a place where it has gone from being completely a college football wasteland to actually having a little bit of success and propelling coaches onto their next job. That's not what Syracuse really is. Syracuse has had success. Syracuse has higher standards than Temple uh, probably has ever had. Temple's had uh, a moment in the sun here in recent years, thanks to the Steve Adazios of the world or whatever, but they're not going to be able to retain a coach in the way that Syracuse can and should retain a coach. If Dino Babers had been poached this year or last year or next year, even uh, in the short term, and you're moving on, that has detrimental effect on the program, particularly once you start changing the style of play. So Greg Robinson, that didn't work out over four years, didn't win enough games. Then with Doug Marone to Scott Schaefer, that had a chance to work out. That was not an appreciable difference in coaching staffs, except that, or in philosophy is what I mean to say. It did change the staff quite a bit because Marone took so much of his staff to the NFL. You can't fault a guy leaving for the NFL. It was done at a time, though, when you weren't going to have an exhaustive search. You handed it to the defensive coordinator who showed some promise, and that was just a so-so run. And then at the end of Scott Schaefer's term, it was decided to take a different approach. Once you've then committed to what's happened here with Dino Babers, different style of play, uh, maybe a slightly different look in terms of recruiting, then you can't now undo that quickly. You know, you bring in another new coach and – are you going to keep the same types of players that Babers has recruited? Are you going to go with the same philosophies and terminology and that type of thing? Or are you going to change course again? And so uh, that's one of the many positive things here is that the course on paper at least shouldn't be changed in the foreseeable future. This is a program, I was talking with an alumni group last night, when you think about it, this is a program that had 
four coaches in a 60-year run, basically. 55. From 1949 when Ben Schwartzwalder came in, Schwartzwalder, Maloney, McPherson, Pascaloni, that's four coaches in 55 years. And three of the four won games. Uh, That's pretty good. Most programs don't have that. But it also demonstrates sort of what you're used to around here with um, with stability, with the expectation that th- the status quo is going to remain and that you can build on that. And that's what I think what you have in Babers. Now you've got one guy who hasn't stuck around anywhere previously in his career. This will be his longest tenure job. This becomes now his sort of, uh, you know, who knows? Does he have another job after this in him? Uh, time will tell on that. But this is a place where he's going to put down roots. We've seen how he turns around and begins to build programs. Then how does he go about the next layer and the next layer? Sustaining, uh, recruiting a a higher class of athlete year after year. It's evident that recruiting has gotten better because some of the young players have made impact on this year's team. Well, now you're going to be getting the uh, four-star player, the occasional five-star player. What can you do with them? How do they thrive? Now that you've been able to turn things over a little bit and have multiple recruiting classes, um, you might see another layer here of of Baber's leadership and uh, his expertise. And so far, it's worked out, and he certainly deserved the extension. And uh, all's well that ends well in terms of how this has been uh, dealt with and publicized, etc. And uh, now it's time to start to see what some of the results are. The staff will obviously get back to the bowl preparation. Um, Babers will, my understanding is, be available to the media on Monday, if not before. So uh, we'll have some comments from that as well, hopefully on Monday's show. There's a women's basketball game at that uh, at that same time too. So that's that. So that was kind of a waiting on a shoe to drop there, Polly, for, uh, for that announcement to come out. Now it's done. Now everybody's happy. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I don't I don't see why you wouldn't and be happy about it. it yeah. It's it's such a different feeling around this city with football. For the you know, like people are talking football early early on in the basketball season. We're still we're talking about the head coach. There's there's you know, there's a bowl game. It's it's a lot of fun. It's it's yeah. a, it's a very different feel to this town. Absolutely. And uh you know, this is if you want to sustain that, if you want that to be more than a isn't this cute this one time while sustaining the head coach and having him then be able to maybe solidify his coaching staff? I think those are the biggest uh, factors here. So we'll see what his next move is now working with some of that stability. All right, we'll break here. We'll get into Mike Waters. Your phone calls are welcome at the end of the show. If you'd like, 437-7644-3154-ESPN44. If you'd like to chime in, we'll get to Mike Waters and uh, his piece this week on the most clutch Syracuse basketball performers, which was uh, evidenced certainly by Tyus Battle on another game-winning shot on uh, Saturday against Georgetown. That's In the Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth, presented by CH Insurance, in your corner. We are back in the booth. Good to have you with us on a Thursday. I want to work in Mike Waters here. We'll get back to uh, football talk in just a bit. Mike's uh, regular spot on Thursday afternoons is powered by Drivers Village. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm good, Matthew. How are you doing? Good. Uh, Thanks for in... wedging me in here. I know you wanted to talk uh, Dino for 
a whole hour today. I, I just wanted least. to go complete, completely just spew for 38 and a half minutes, but <laughs> the radio format dictates breaks and uh, changing, of course. So we're going to uh, to do that. Uh, the starting point for you clearly is your piece this week. I know you put a lot of time and thought into ranking the most uh, clutch players. Here's the comment from Coach Beheim that uh, articulated something that, Mike, I think you and I have talked about off the air from time to time, and uh, Coach Beheim put it this way after he the game. He made four or five at least last year, maybe more. Uh, obviously, his freshman year he made a pretty good one in Clemson. But he's made a lot of big shots, probably as much or more uh, anybody we've ever had here in late-game situations. I, w- I would say he's right there. And Coach Beheim, I think, is uh, guilty of recency bias from time to time. But if he's guilty in this case, then sentence me as well because uh, I agree with him. I think that uh, Tyus Battle is right up there, Mike. And uh, how did you set, set out about your little project here? Well, it's really hard uh, to, to you know quantify something like, well, who is the most clutch player in, in school history? What do you base it on? Uh, just last-second shots? Uh, how about the guy who maybe doesn't hit a last-second shot but raises the level of his game uh, in that big moment? Um, Carmelo Anthony in the Final Four back in 2003 being the best example of that. I mean, the, the man went for... A season-high 33 points and tied a season-high of 14 rebounds against Texas in the NCAA semifinals. That's a clutch performance. But, um, you know, giving some more weight to, uh, to, to guys who did hit last-second, last-minute shots, I, you, nobody uh, has in Syracuse history has had more last-second shots than Jerry McNamara. So, for me, he was an easy number one choice, but I wound up with Tyus at number two. And again, it's completely subjective. And there were, you know, in my final 15, there were some guys I left off that have hit some memorable shots. Uh, but you end up leaving them off because, well, you know what? There, there's 15 other guys, and, and we can all make our arguments for this guy over that guy. But I, for me, it was just a lot of fun to do. And I had a chance to kind of trip down memory lane there and find some old photos and old videos, a video of Jim Lee from back in the 70s, which was a a find that just kind of made my day as I was putting that gallery together. But, you know, Tyus has hit a lot of big shots. And and what I like about two of his most memorable shots is the one against Georgetown, obviously, on Saturday, and going back to his freshman year down there at Clemson. He hit shots to win the games where if he doesn't hit those shots, they lose. They weren't tied. And it was in the final seconds of the game, do or die, make the shot, you win, lose, miss it, you go home. And that, to me, that's the definition of the most clutch shot. And he's had uh, so many of them uh, in this two or three year period. We're visiting with Mike Waters, the uh, Syracuse basketball beat writer from Syracuse.com. And as we were talking about the, on the phone the other day, Mike, in the NBA, there's so much data and it's been kept and uh what's the word I'm looking for, coded for such a period of time that I literally, and you could do the same, you could go to a couple of websites and you can enter various criteria and you could literally spit out, you know, Kobe Bryant in his day, uh, somebody's performance on last sec, on you know, shots with five seconds to go with his team down a possession, et cetera, and you could come up with data that could build your argument one way or the other in terms of making a list like this. It doesn't exist in college <laughs> basketball in the same way. So you had to operate on an anecdotal basis, right? 
Yeah, in a way, I, you're right. All the, the all that information is available out there for for a lot of the NBA, but uh, it almost made it more fun for me uh, in compiling a list. It was anecdotal. It was very subjective, and so it, it made for a great debate argument. You know, people were commenting on Twitter and in the comment section after the story and um, arguing this guy or that guy or how could you leave this guy off? You know, how do you leave Lawrence Moten off? How do you leave Tyler Ennis off? How could, how dare you put John Gillen on? You know, right. <laughs> um, you know, no, nobody mentioned Michael Lloyd. And in his one year in the program, I remember distinctly him making two game-winning or game-tying shots, which is pretty impressive. Um, no one mentioned him, but I thought of him, but eventually left him off. Um, I had one guy try to debate me that there's no such thing as clutch. Yeah. yeah well, which, that's a, that's a okay, baseball let's concept, have that right? Debate. I, I argue against it. I, I, I think there certainly is clutch. And, you know, my argument there was... Um, there is something you have to admit that there is something to the idea of a player being clutch. If we can all admit that there are certain players that choke, that the moment gets to them, they don't perform as well as their norm in that big moment. And we all can identify those guys. So even if a guy just keeps up his normal level of play in the big moment, well, I think that's clutch too. You know, you and I are both baseball fans, Mike, and that would be a long debate in baseball, right? And they have yeah. all the data, okay? Derek Cheater, the most clutch hitter, and I, you know, while we're on the air here, I don't know that I'll have a chance to to do it on the fly, but I can click a couple of buttons here and I can tell you what Derek Cheater's, you know, what they call late and close batting performance is. You know, seventh inning on in a close game, et cetera, and you you can figure that out, and there's data to quantify it. I think it's almost more fun to not have the data in some cases, but uh, maybe that's where we we ruin sports arguments by uh, adding the actual uh, detail. But certainly there's the perception that some guys come through uh, more often than not and on a better rate than others. And I think with Tyus Battle, the guy, the, the one player on your list that we're seeing right before our eyes here, you can't deny that he's been called upon in a lot of those situations that you're talking about. And in particular, he has scored when everyone in the arena knows that he's going to be the man. He wants the ball. His teammates want him to have the ball. His coach wants him to have the ball. And the other team doesn't want him to have the ball. He's a clutch player. Right, no, it's a good, good way to uh, to put it. And he's he's come through, and you know, and on his bench, certainly it helps to have Jerry McNamara. I think Jerry's age proximity to the current players helps in so many ways, and one of them is these guys don't need to really read in a history book who he is or be told that they saw it. You know, his kids, and they know uh, what he did, and, and certainly there's stuff up about Jerry everywhere to know that that's what's valued uh, here and everywhere else, that uh, somebody who comes through on the biggest stage uh, is going to be the man. Just like you. Right. At the end yeah. of every game, when you make that call. Well, I, I could blow it, too. <laughs> quite <laughs> you frequent, could. Quite frequently, you I could. do. You could totally screw up. Yes, and then uh, yes. happens on a regular basis. All right, I know you got to run uh, very quickly <laughs> on this. was uh, starting to plant the seeds um, on this one uh, yesterday before we knew the Dino Babers news building up to this game. Old Dominion's pretty good, Mike. Uh, you know, one of the top statistically defensive teams in the country. 
they are actually very good. Uh, seven and three ball club, uh, maybe the best ball club in Conference USA, both last year and this, uh, got squeezed out of the NCAA tournament, uh, you know, because of a loss in their conference tournament. But Jeff Jones, the former University of Virginia player and coach, has done a great job there. Uh, familiar name, uh, BJ Stiff, uh, their senior guard, six foot five, good size. He's the son of former Virginia player Bryant Stiff. Averaging about 18 points a game, uh, he's got a backcourt mate in Ahmad Caver, uh, who is another senior. So they are an experienced team. The, the Caver kids averaging about 18 and a half points per game. So you know they come in with a backcourt of two seniors uh, totaling about 35, 36 points per game. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna be a tough battle for Syracuse. And I know a lot of people are already looking uh, ahead the next week in that game against nationally ranked and undefeated Buffalo. But this game on Saturday is certainly not one to be overlooked by Syracuse. And uh, you always kind of wonder, how's the team going to be? Will they be locked in on this type of game, especially coming at the end of final exams week? Agreed. And, uh, you know, if you want to foreshadow my screw-ups, they have a caver and a carver. Uh, Yeah, good luck with that one. (laughs) Hey, last thing, we're going to get you out the door. Uh, Would you like to support Harold Baines as an Oriole fan? Um, I would like to uh, support him as an Oriole fan. I don't think I can okay. uh, uh, logically and realistically. I think he was very fortunate to have uh, 20% of the committee in his corner uh, with you know, what, yes. uh, who Jerry Reinsdorf's on the committee, Tony LaRusso is on the committee. Uh, you know, if it was the NCAA selection committee, those guys have to step out of the room. Agreed. Right. Um, and listen, and I feel really bad in a way for Harold Baines. A week ago, if you brought up the name Harold Baines, I was sat here and talked to you about what a smooth stroke this left-handed guy had. And, you know, he made a career for himself at DH when his body betrayed him a little bit. Um, and he couldn't play the field anymore. He was a really nice ball player. But um, now he gets, you know, by this committee, he gets put into the Hall of Fame and we're going to rip him. You know, you know, we're going to hold him up as an example of a guy who probably doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. So we've taken him out of the really nice ball player category, and we've made him the worst Hall of Fame uh, inductee of all time. Yeah, that's a shame. And 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 I brought it up because I know you're you're a fan. I don't mean to keep pounding on him or, or make it a, a joke, but um, no, you don't want to detract from him. Happy for him to be in there. It's just my, my point is, if he's in there, then we're going to need. We're going to need a new building down there. We're going to need uh, a lot of another chairs. wing. Yes. So. We're going to need a lot of chairs. Yeah, right. New building. Because, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have to discuss uh, our candidacies. That's right. Well, well I don't maybe know about not that. us. I, I could hardly get off the bench in high school. So, all right, Michael, thank you uh, for your time. We appreciate it. We'll see you in the Dome on Saturday. Sounds good, man. Good chatting with you. Okay, very good. Mike Waters, you can see his piece on Syracuse.com where uh, he has ranked the top 15 players. Going to tease. Uh, for tomorrow's show, probably we'll have one of those players on the show. One of the top 15? Yeah. That's a clutch get by you. Get. Clutch. Under pressure. I actually arranged that while texting, while talking to Mike. I mean, Rudy Hackett? Not everybody can do that. Not Ro- going to be Rudy Hackett. Ronnie Sykley. Not going to be Carmelo Ronnie Sykley. Carmelo Anthony. No, you're, you're, <laughs> you're narrowing it down. So it's one of the 12 people that you haven't mentioned. Johnny Flynn. Stop talking. I thought Johnny Flynn was the only one I had an issue with. He should have been you higher. You would bump up. him up. I would bump yeah. him up a little bit. Hit some big shots. Um, but yeah, that's uh, what, uh, you know, it's a good thing to be known for. Let's put it that way. And you can sort of punch above your weight. You know, are there players that 
you wouldn't, you know, certainly there's players on that list he wouldn't say are among the best 15 players of all time. But when the chips were down, they came through like a Jimmy Lee. What, what a great thing to be known for, to uh, have you know huge games on a postseason run in 1975 and get the team to its first uh, Final Four. Rudy Hackett was on uh, those teams too, but that's pretty cool. This might give me some hate. This might give me. I kind of struggled with Malachi Richardson too. Like he had a game. Was he on that fifteen? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, it may have uh, skimmed by number him. nine. Nine. He that that uh, that game is probably one of the best performances ever. But to yeah. say you would give him the ball, you know. Right. No, I agree with you on that. Yeah. But you know, it's it's fun to do those yeah. things for debate, and you're obviously going to be leaving people off. When you look at the long history of uh, people in the program, so uh, fun piece of work there by Mike. The I need to talk to him. He said he had a meeting at two thirty, so <laughs> we had to had to move things along here. All right, we'll come back with our visit with John Wildhack. We'll do do we care as we roll along as well. You're in the booth on ESPN Radio. This is in the booth presented by CH Insurance in your corner. Welcome back in the booth. Phone calls welcome at 4 ESPN 44 315 4 ESPN 44 or 315 437 7644. We can get to your calls, questions, and comments on the Dino Babers news or even the uh, clutch shooting news if you'd like to uh, go over that uh, here in just a bit. We'll also play Do We Care in a moment, but uh, want to check in with our visit with John Wildhack. You can see the uh, video version of this at uh, Qs.com or uh, Qs TV, the YouTube channel. And uh, we started first by congratulating Wildhack on the milestone this is in his career, a major decision and accomplishment, basically, to retain the football coach, Dino Babers, for an unspecified length on uh, his contract extension. It's a great day for the football program. It's a great day for our university, for our community, for our fan base, not only in central New York, but literally around the country, around the world. So, and it's the, it's the next step in the continued development mm-hmm. and growth of this program. Among the reasons that it certainly impacts the community is people had a lot of fun this fall, right? right? And so there's an effort towards sustaining that, right? And if some is good, more is better. Is that kind of what got the ball rolling here? Maybe you can take us through the timeline of when this became uh, an agenda item for you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it really, we, we actually did our, started our homework back in, in, in late August, mm-hmm. anticipating that, you know, we might have a terrific year. I'm not sure we anticipate, anticipated nine and three, sure. but we'd have a breakthrough year. We did, so I wanted to be prepared. And then in early November, I had discussions with uh, the chancellor, um, with the board chair and other members of the board. They were very, very supportive. And after that, engaged with, uh, with Dino. I said, here's what we want to do. He was very enthusiastic about that and then uh, worked with his agent uh, to get it done. Okay. I know uh, given the private university and the, the way things are, are dealt with here, you're not going to tell us years and, and numbers and that type of thing. When you did that homework, what did you set out to find out and with whom or or what level of competitiveness are you seeking here? What did you try to do in terms of what you thought would stabilize the situation? If, at first, you, re, you really look within the conference, right, mm-hmm. within the ACC. That's who we compete against week mm-hmm. in and week out. So you start there and then you look at other Power Five conferences as well. 
And you know, after that, you, you, you accumulate that data as much as you can, and then you determine, all right, what's, what are the appropriate uh, steps for us to take? And I know one of the steps early for you is you need to have approval of the board. So you take that idea to them. What type of feedback you get there? The feedback was very supportive, and I'm very thankful to, uh, to Chancellor Severud for his support, Steve Barnes, our board chair, Kathy Walters, our incoming board chair-elect, and Jimmy Kuhn, who's chair of the athletic mm -hmm. committee. They were very, very supportive and said, you know what, let's go for it. Let's try to get it done. John, you're not retaining the football coach solely because he's winning games. Or maybe you are. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But my understanding would be that Coach ba there's something about Coach Babers here that makes you want him to represent the program for the long term. What are those things? Exactly, Matt. He represents our program, our university, our community extraordinarily well. Um, and that's that's you know that's that's impactful to me. I think it's impactful to uh, to so many of us. And so it's you know it's beyond the football skill and the football acumen. Is you know when Coach Babers is is in the public eye, he represents our university and our community in a first class manner. One of the keys to the success of the program here recently has been this commitment to build out not only facilities, but the staff as well. The staff here is bigger than it's ever been. That pays dividends in recruiting in a lot of other ways, seen and unseen. Once you get bigger this way, those people want stability too. That's a lot of other families and things that are connected. What's been done to shore up that aspect of the program? Well, that's, that's part of the overall analysis of the program and part of, you know, from day one when I got here is, all right, Let's figure out the resources that we need to compete at an ACC level. Let's figure out how we invest appropriately, and that's, that's exactly what we've done. And yesterday's just another step in that, uh, in that process. So many of those people we're talking about uh, deal in recruiting. That's sure. certainly the lifeblood of college football. Big recruiting day coming up uh, next week with the early signing period. And that had to have been a driving force here, right, to, to have some degree of stability because the coaches are out in living rooms right now. Absolutely. And I think for our 2019 recruits, the kids mm -hmm. that we're recruiting now, 2020, 2021 and beyond, they know if they come to Syracuse University, they're going to play for Coach Babers. They're going to get a great education. So to have it done and to have it announced before the early signing day, uh, which begins December 19th, was very important to us. So there's a great idea of momentum here, bowl game coming up. Uh, what are you looking to accomplish here in the messaging of this and in the, the foreseeable future? Let's go uh, inclusive of the bowl game, which is uh, two weeks away. This is a really important time for the program. Well, I think it's, it's, it represents a partnership, right, mm -hmm. and a commitment from the university to Coach Babers and the program and a commitment and a partnership from Coach Babers back to the university. And now we can, we can use the build upon that and build upon the success that we've experienced in 2018. And we have a tremendous opportunity in the Camping World Bowl December 28th. And if we can be fortunate enough to win, this would be the only seventh time yeah. in, uh, in school history we've won 10, 10 games. Then you head into an offseason where among the biggest things going on here are the improvements at the Carrier Dome. If I'm the football coach and I'm sitting opposite you talking about a, a contract extension, I want to know that the place I'm going to play is going to continue to be vibrant and, and uh, competitive. What, what, what type of assurances were given to uh, Coach Babers in that area? Well, I think, again, back in May, the board approved you know, $118 million investment in the, in the Dome. So... That was really impactful to coach. It was impactful to all of us. Okay, you know what? That show of faith, that commitment by the board, that the Dome, which is already the most unique facility in Power 5 football, that it's only going to be better, um, that's a catalyst.
Okay, well, you got your hands uh, full here still. <laughs> One thing off the desk uh, for the time being. Uh, we'll hear from Coach, I assume, here at some point. I know he's uh, been out on the road right now, right. and it uh, seems from what uh, we, we've seen so far that it's been a very successful run. We'll find out more on Wednesday. Yeah, it has, and the whole staff's out there recruiting mm -hmm. all week, and then we have a big recruiting weekend again here with the uh, with visits. So it's, um, it's, it's a busy time for the staff, exciting time for the staff, exciting for our fans, and... Uh, Again, I think uh, I'm very optimistic. Well, and we'll see how that optimism gets paid off. And here's the idea, too. you got to keep grinding. Among the reasons the program took a little dip in the early 2000s was everybody kind of worked on, eh, we're all right, we're in a competitive position, we're, we're good enough. And they weren't good enough relative to what everybody else was doing. This is a marketplace now. It's just even 15 years ago, it's different. Everybody out there is trying harder than they ever have to compete. There's that much more at stake. There's that much visibility. There's that much exposure. Everybody's trying hard. So if you're not uh, really grinding right now and consistently trying to improve your program, you are getting passed. And uh, I think if you're a Syracuse football fan, casual or avid, what today's news demonstrates is that the administration has stepped up and said, this is something we value. We want this to be good. We want this to continue to be good. And uh, they're putting their money where their mouth is right now. This is, uh, as John Wildhack pointed out, uh, money that will come from the existing athletics operation. You know, it's not going to be tied to, uh, you know, other than the way they always raise money and, and that type of thing. Um, there's not going to be a, you know, tariff put out there on anybody right now to to pay for what's coming up here it's just the the dollars that they have have been earmarked in this way for the uh, football coach and the football program so we shall see how it plays out we'll turn our attention back to the bowl game certainly next week and uh, into christmas week the game is on the 28th it is two weeks from tomorrow and uh tickets they're still working on uh, selling and putting those packages together at cuse.com slash camping world when we continue here on in the booth we'll do the do we care with Polly, we can sneak in a call or two if you'd like. Get ready to call us tonight on the Jim Beheim show. We'll be out at Carabas at uh, seven o'clock tonight as well in the Fayetteville Town Center. You're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth, presented by CH Insurance. In your corner, do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No way. The other thing, tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care no more. Jose Canseco has taken to Twitter. Care. Imagine that. Uh, he's pitching the fact that he wants to be chief of staff for the White House. He said, hey, little buddy, at real Donald Trump, you need a bash, brother, for chief of staff. Got a secret reorganization plan already. Also worried about you looking more like a Twinkie every day. I will buff you up daily. Workouts. DM me. Yes, we can say go hashtag. He spelled it uh, chief if, if staff. staff. Yes. Um, it kind of bothers me that Jose Canseco thinks that that's part of the job of chief of staff, that he's going to be the workout buddy of the president. That could be a little scary. Uh, Jose Canseco actually is a lot smarter than he's given credit for, I think. He's just goes about it in an awkward way for people to digest. Could you, that well, would I, be great. I, we don't need a president on roids Just more, yeah, more reality show people and the White House. Trump on roids on Twitter would be awesome. Yeah. Well, but the two of them on Twitter are 
pretty interesting as it is. Yankee, Probably ought to put their phone away once in a while. Yankee Stadium ranked worst uh, among baseball stadiums for sanitary food in the Spectrum Center, which is a host of the ACC tournament, ranked worst in professional sports for health inspections. One of my uh, favorite and least favorite things to do is read the health inspections. Uh, yeah, I don't want to know. At Syracuse.com. The best were Oracle Arena, State Farm Arena, and NRG Stadium. Uh, Ameri- is, where's State Farm Arena? Why am I not? That doesn't ring a bell. Oracle is Golden State Warriors. Uh, doesn't matter. Go ahead. But uh, the worst are Spectrum Center, Palace at Auburn Hills, and American Airlines Center. Here's my takeaway from it. The big numbers were 73% of, or 73 of the 111 venues in North America had a better sanitary rating than the restaurants in their communities. That's good, yeah. So it's safer to eat. Yeah, 60%. Of course, it's also, it's pretty simple food that's brought, you know, it shouldn't be that hard. It sounds easier for me to say, but it shouldn't be that hard to keep it sanitary. I would think some of these baseball stadiums, it is a little harder. It's outdoors. It's hot. Um, The the temperature variation alone, I think, would be very problematic for them. Uh, Nine of the 111 had a worse rating than their community, and 28% had high-level violations at half or more of their outlets in the stadium. Yeah, that's stuff scary. I don't want to know. I enjoy it. But it reminds me to keep it simple. Eat before you go to the ACC tournament. Eat before you go to the ACC tournament. When you're in the stadium, a little pro tip, um, don't don't be the first guy to go for that that food and stuff that's been sitting out. Like They start those hot dogs rolling at 4 o'clock for the 7 o'clock game. Let somebody else in the first couple of innings eat those hot dogs, and then you go for whatever your grub is, go in the you know third, fourth, fifth inning, and uh, some of the other stuff's cleared out. All right, back tomorrow, 2 o'clock, in the booth, ESPN Radio.